Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's really good to see you. Um, welcome here to Kested. If you guys don't know me, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Kested. And I'm really excited for this morning. We're really excited to share. Um, really excited to learn uh, together. We're going to be diving into a story that many of us uh, have heard before today, the story of the Good Samaritan. And what I'm asking at the beginning of this, at the very beginning of this, is uh, we have this problem sometimes when we listen to stories that we've heard before that we, we think we've heard them before. Uh, but we're going to trust at the very beginning that this is the living word of God and there are new things, new perspectives for us to learn. I want to start by asking a simple question. Who's the best teacher you've ever had? Think of it. Who's the best? You can say it out loud. Say it out loud. Yeah. You, some of us, it's really easy. So for me, the best teacher I ever had was Mr. Mortlock. He's a teacher that I had in high school when I was for lack of a better word, a punk junior. Just this, this kid. I, for, for whatever reason, there's a lot of things I'm not good at, but school was one of those things that just came pretty easy to me. And so I could, I could mail in work. I could, I, could just ma- I could show up and I could write a paper. I could, I could memorize things pretty well. And junior year of high school was the first time I can remember being truly challenged by a teacher. My very first day of class, I got into this class called Advanced Writing and Research, which is normally just for seniors, and I got in as a junior because I'm me, and I was really excited for that, right? And I got in there, and the very first day of class, I'd never met the teacher before. I just heard good things about the class, and I get into the class, and the teacher's not there yet, and we're all sitting down and talking like, like teenagers do, and all of a sudden, this man walks in the room. And the word I would use, and this is with all honor and respect, was frumpy, all right? This short, squatty man. I didn't know you could do this as a teacher, but he, every single day of class, he wore sweatpants, all right? I didn't know that was allowed, which is awesome, all right? He, sweatpants and a long t-shirt, all right? He had a beard, and glasses short and stocky, and he walked up to the front of class, and I'm like, who is this guy, right? Who is this guy? And he introduces himself at the beginning of class and says, hello, class, my name is Mr. Mortlock, and we're about to go on a journey together. He says, but there's some things necessary for us in this journey for us to accomplish what we want to accomplish on this journey. One of the first things we're going to have to establish is trust. So here's what I'm going to do. He said, this is kind of unorthodox, but I've actually prepared a test for you. And we're all like, we're 39 seconds into class. What exactly can we have a test on right now? But he hands out a test and he goes, and this test actually matters. You're going to get a grade, an actual grade on this class. I want to see where you're at when understanding advanced writing and research. And we're like frustrated and goes, but here's the kicker. I'm actually going to leave the class while you're taking this test. But I want to show you one more thing. And he grabs a piece of paper and he shows it and he says, this is my resignation letter. And he says, I typed this up ahead of time. And I'm going to leave the class. And if any of you cheat during this time, if you you talk to your neighbor, all right, if you talk to your neighbor and you collaborate and cheat, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk down to the principal's office and I am going to hand over my resignation letter to the principal today. And my, I won't have a job anymore. My family won't have an income anymore. And so 
have fun with the test. And so he just walks out at that point out of the classroom, and we're all just stunned. And we're like, what is going on? And I'll never forget one, I'm sitting near the back because I'm the junior, right? And there's a kid in the very front seat, and he starts to turn around. He doesn't even say anything, and everyone just says, turn around, right? (laughs) And we take the test. And this man, Mr. Morton, like I still remember, I took another class from him my senior year. He's the greatest teacher I ever had because he had this way of not just, not just throwing information at you, but engaging you right where you're at. And he knew teenagers needed, the ones that were especially going into advanced classes, they needed to be challenged. They, and not just challenged in terms of what information that they knew, but how they brought their whole self to a project, how they did that. And so not only did he do this, but he individually sat down with uh, every single person in the class, and he asked two questions. He said, uh, wh- what are you hoping to get out of this class? And I remember as a junior going like, an A? Like, I don't, I don't know. At that point, I'm not going, I really want to learn and grow in wisdom and experience and everything else. I'm like, oh, I don't know, an A, right? And then he said, what are you hoping to get out of me? Again, I, I don't, an A? Like, that's the answer to me, right? But what he did for me is he engaged in questions that I'd never asked before. Right? He opened my mind and my heart to ways of thinking and learning that I'd never really thought before. I, at, at that point, uh, school for me was a transaction. Right? I brought this much of me, and I'm just trying to get an A. So I'm only going to bring as much as, uh, out of it or into it as gets an A out of it. Right? And he taught me that's not enough. That you need to bring your whole self. And, and the um, teacher-student relationship is a sacred one. It's one that's very important. It's not just a transaction that happens. That there's, a, there's a relationship, there's a unity, there's a journey that we go on together. And what he would always say, he'd say, I, I'm learning just as much from you as you are from me. We'd all be like, you're ridiculous right now. And he taught me this thing, and I still teach my son to this day, where uh, when, you, when you learn something new, and this is nerding out for just a second, when you learn something new, your, your brain... Um, builds in a dendrite, a dendrite tendril. So it's, it's a new little synapse that, that forms in your brain when you learn something new. It's this little zzz, the thing that happened. It's actually, it isn't straight though. It's kind of, if you were to look at it in a scan, it's curly, right? And so he, he had this four-year-old at the time. He told us all the time about what she's learning. He taught her that when t- she learned something to go like this, right? <laughs> Right, just and so he made us do it. And I like there's like cute girls in the class, and every time we learned something new, we'd have to go, Oh, here we go, right? I've tried, I don't, my son, I've tried to make my son do it. He's still, he's stronger than me, he hasn't committed to it yet. And the reason I share this is because the greatest of teachers don't just stand up and disseminate information, they don't just get us to know more. They engage us at our core, and they look directly into our souls, and they say, I want to go on a journey with you, and it's a personal experience. We're going to read the story of the Good Samaritan today, and before we do so, we need to remember that parables are hard because they're familiar for us. Most of us, if we haven't sat in church before and heard someone share about the story of the Good Samaritan, we know the gist of the story. We've heard it. We've seen there are hospitals named Good Samaritan. There are nonprofits named Good Samaritan. We know about it, but there is a depth to this story. And we think, most of us think, that this story is about kindness. And it kind of is. 
and we think it's about mercy, and it kind of is. But I think this story is about a great teacher. I think this story is about a great teacher and the way that he engages uh, the people that will listen, because not everyone listens. Not everyone listens the right way. Not everyone brings their whole self. And this story is an interaction between Jesus and a person, um, a person who doesn't quite bring their whole self, and we're actually left at the end of the story wondering if they, if they got the lesson. So what I want to do is I want to read this story to you, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit because there's some stuff that we got to understand together, and hopefully we can go on a little journey together. Can we do that? Okay, we're going to start in Luke chapter 10. We're going to just read through the story once, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. Luke, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, says this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him to put him to the test, saying, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law, how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, this is Jesus saying back to him, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is a story about kindness, but this story actually begins before the parable ever starts. There's a, a theologian um, at the London School of Theology named Conrad Gemp that's done great work just in this story, and he reminds us um, that when we're studying the Bible, right, especially in the setting of a parable, right, it's really important for us to ask uh, who's answering the question? Like, who's in the room? What's the setting of the room? He tells us, Conrad Gemp tells us, that G when it comes to parables, that Jesus often isn't answering the question, he's answering the person. Okay, let me say that again. When it comes to these stories, these parable after these stories that Jesus is teaching, have you ever walked away from one of them um, and just, just read it like that and been like, I don't really understand what the heck you're talking about? right now. Or maybe I get it on a, a, a basic level, but there seems to be more to the story than I'm understanding right now. Well, that's because we are viewers. We are, we're the audience to what's going on right now. There's an actual interaction going on between God in flesh and a human being. This isn't just a story for you right now. No, it is, 
But at first, this is a real relationship interaction happening between two people. And we need to do a little bit of work to understand who this person is asking Jesus the story. He asks this very, very important question. Because he's not messing around in the shallows with his query. He's deep sea diving. He's saying, show me the good stuff, Jesus. Show me the path to eternal life. He wants to know, how do I get there? Heaven, all right, how do I get there? So that's the question. And we need to know who the man is that's asking the question. Now, what the text tells us, that this is a lawyer. This isn't a lawyer like we look at a lawyer right now. A lawyer in this day would have been an expert in the law. We know that this is an expert in the law. We got to do a little unpacking for that also, because in this day, there were two main political parties that had experts in the law. Think Democrat, Republican, all right? Um, there were two main political parties. There were Pharisees and there were Sadducees, and these guys hated each other, right? Why? Because they looked at the text in different ways. We sit here today and we have this problem. Here's our problem. We're trying to, uh, as often as we can, dive into an ancient text and make it relevant for today. We're looking at this, and there's someone like me or someone else that's trying to say, hey, this is how we look at it today. Here's the thing. We think we're unique in that. We think that we're unique, that we're the only ones looking at an ancient text and trying to interpret it for today. But 2,000 years ago, they were doing the exact same thing. Moses lived thousands of years before Jesus did. Thousands of years. So they're having the exact same problem. And the same um, thing that we run into today, if you go to a different church down the road, you're going to find different interpretations of how we look at this ancient text. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the two leading parties telling you how to look at the text. The first, the Sadducees looked at this text and they said, you know, most of this we can't relate to today. Most of, there's, we can't do the work of, of making that work for today, so we're going to leave most of this alone. But here's what we can do. Uh, the Old Testament, the Torah, tells us a lot about the temple, tells us a lot about sacrifices, and tells us a lot about Sabbath. So they could look at this literal interpretation and say, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do on the Sabbath. It tells me to do this. It tells me to sacrifice this. So we're going to focus our religion on only that. Okay? We're going to focus on what we know. Right? It tells us to do this, so we're going to do that on, on their Sabbath day, Saturday. All right? now we're going, that's what we're going to do. So that's what the Sadducees did. They left the rest of life pretty much alone. All right? Because that required humanness to interpret. And we don't know. We have the sacred text. That's all we know. Right? The other side of the coin is this group called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were known as experts in the law. The Torah had 613 laws in it, each one needing interpretation. Now, if you've been in church for any sort of time, when I say the word Pharisee, you start thinking words like legalistic, judgmental. Right? And there's a reason that you think that, because this group did think that they could interpret the text for today, and they did it all day long. What they did is they took the 613 laws of the Torah, and they said, situation after situation, which one do we apply right now? And they'd say, yes, no, yes, no, and it was law. And then uh, they would just write law after law after law after law. And now we unpack why our Pharisee gentleman in the story, not our Sadducee, but our Pharisee, this is why he's asking the question, because he really wants to know. He's, it's all he does day by day is look at the text and say, and people come to him and say, what do I do in this situation? What do I do in this situation? And he wants to unpack it. Yeah, neighbor, not neighbor. That's the job. That's the job that he has. And he is trying to put Jesus to the text, to the test. The problem with Pharisees, though, these experts in the law, 
prided themselves on keeping the law. They attempted to keep the letter of the law, but weren't close when it came to the spirit of the law. That's why he's asking the question, though, in the first place. He wants to, he, if you could imagine, if this was a movie, right, this would, this would be a scene in a room and a man surrounded by books and probably have glasses on and he's taking notes somewhere and he's, he's very, uh, he's very worried about us making sure we follow the rules. And our job, though, Jesus' job, isn't just to get us to follow the rules. He wants our whole self brought to the situation. So this is what Jesus, I love these stories because Jesus himself doesn't play by the rules. He doesn't play by our rules anyway. This man tries to corner Jesus. This man tries to come to him and be the authority and say, I, I kind of know how the law goes, and so let's see what your interpretation is and how quickly the story turns. And he asks, Jesus, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus goes, what does the text say? <laughs> All of a sudden, this guy's taking the test. He tried to put Jesus in, in the desk right now to take the test, and he's now taking the test. Jesus says, what is written in the law? And then he says this really important thing. Please don't miss this. He says, how do you read it? What is written in the law? All right? What does the law say? And then there's this other part. How do you interpret it? Anyone ever put together Ikea furniture? Okay. I had to do this the other day. I read the instructions to start with, and then I had to go back and really actually read the instructions. This is what Jesus is saying. You can read stuff and not really read it. You can, you can understand, but not really understand. So what Jesus is turning back to is, I know you know what to do here, but let's see if you know what to do here. All right? So he puts him to the test. And, so, and, and our Pharisee, he gives an A-plus answer. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, gold star, way to go, buddy. Right? But he doesn't just say, hey, uh, learn this and teach others to do this. He says this. Jesus responds and says, do this and you will live, right? Do this, not learn this, not teach this, all right? Not write this down, but he says, do this. Live this out, and you will live. But our Pharisee friend, because he's all about rules, because he really wants to know, uh, he asks, well then, who is my neighbor, right? He wants to know. Now, is he asking the question, who is my neighbor? Because he is like, please, Lord, show me all the people that I can love, right? That's, that's not his heart. He's saying, please, Lord, show me all the people I don't have to love. Where, what's, who's in that category? Show me all the ones I don't have to love, and then I'll, I'll write down the ones I am to love, and I'll go do that, right? And it's just this task-based idea of love that is broken, and that Jesus wants nothing to do with. But this is the question the man asked, because in his world, he's going to, on his list, say neighbor, not neighbor, neighbor, not neighbor, neighbor, not neighbor. Our Pharisee loves math class. He loves linear lines and categories. And so what does Jesus do to him? He brings him to English class. He brings him to arts class, to drama, and he tells him a story flips the authority in the room from the Pharisee to Jesus. And, and remember, Jesus isn't answering the, the question. He's answering the person. 
If you were to ask the same question in the same room, you probably would have received an altogether different answer and a different story. You ever think about that? If you were to come to Jesus and inquire of him of how do I get eternal life the same way the rich young ruler did, there would be a different story and a different response because Jesus isn't teaching the masses at that point. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. We're going to get into this at the end of the at the end of our time here this morning, how important it is to listen to what Jesus is saying to me and not just saying what he's saying to a pastor who's saying it to you, but what he's saying to me right now and be um, responsive to that. So Jesus shares a story <clears throat> and the Pharisee is asking himself at this point, and remember, zoom into the story, where is this going? He's thinking, where are we going with this? And he's the smart man. He's the authority. He doesn't know how to not be the authority. So his, his brain is already kind of intersecting um, or injecting what, where Jesus is going to go. So Jesus starts to say, down the road comes A. And our Pharisee friend, right, in his political party, thinks, okay, he's already, he's already going ahead of Jesus' stories. Okay, what Jesus is going to say is there's a man, he's on a road, he's been beaten, he's been left for dead, and you're going to tell me I, a Pharisee needs to go down there and, and help him, and that's how I get the good stuff. That's how I get the blessing. I help the people that are in need, and that's how I get the blessing, all right? And so Jesus, go ahead and say it, all right? Go ahead and say it. Down the road comes a Pharisee, and Jesus said, down the road comes a priest. Again, to us, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Remember who hung out in the temples? Who did the temple work? That was the Sadducees. Okay, this is the, this is the, all of a sudden you're like, okay, any Blazer fans in the room? Like, what? It's like, two, any Seahawks fans in the room? How that? Okay. Which team do the Seahawks really not like? Thank you, 49ers, okay? Think of it this way. Seahawk fan is right here. Jesus is telling the story, and you're really excited for Jesus to say, hey, okay. And then the guy in the Seahawks jersey went down there and helped him, and then Jesus said, and then the guy in the 49er jersey just went down there and helped him, all right? This is the exact opposite team. Our Pharisee friend is going, what are you talking about here, all right? That's not who goes and helps. Do you understand? The, the Sadducees, they don't even think you can interpret the text for today. And then he's going, wait a second. This is what he's going to say. He's going to say, if even that guy can go help, then I should go help. Okay, I can, I can wrap my mind around this. Again, <clears throat> he sees where this is going. But have you ever told God, I see that where this is going? And then understood that that's not exactly where uh, it's going. And Jesus tells a story that the priest comes. But the priest isn't the hero of the story. The priest walks by. Okay, our Pharisee. That was a close one, all right? Here comes another guy, <clears throat> and someone else comes walking down the road, and it's a Levite. Again, we don't really look at this the right way. A Levite is just a small priest, all right? Again, on the wrong team, all right? And this is like, this is a Patriots fan, okay? Do we understand? <laughs> Still an enemy, not on our team, right? Not wearing a Seahawks jersey. This is somebody on the wrong team, Jesus, you don't understand what you're saying, all right? The Pharisees, my guys, my Jersey people are the good guys. You need to send us to go save the day. We're the heroes, right? And Jesus sends in a Levite. This is a person who worked in the temple, not quite as qualified uh, as the priest was, but still on the same general team. And then our Pharisee friend is thinking, well, maybe this isn't about 
what team you're on. Maybe it's about status. See, the, the person, the high up priest in all his priestly garb walked by, and maybe Jesus is going to say the lower person stopped because he didn't consider himself high and, uh, and mighty. And so, okay, I can wrap my mind around this. We need to get low to love people. But then Jesus keeps telling the story, and he says, no, the, the Levite just walks by. All right, guys, like, what is happening in this story? I don't understand, but we're back to a place to go, okay, he threw me for a curveball there, but here comes the Pharisee. Here comes the Pharisee. Next guy has to be a Pharisee, right? No. And in comes a Samaritan. By the time Jesus told this story, the enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans was ancient, entrenched, and bitter. The two groups disagreed about everything that mattered, how to honor God, how to interpret the scriptures, and where to worship. They practiced their faith in separate temples, read different versions of the Torah, and avoided social contact with each other whenever possible. Think, I, think about that. You literally avoid them. You, you avoid physical touch. You don't want to be in the same place as them. That's the relationship here. Truth be told, they hated each other's guts. Though we're inclined to love the good Samaritan, Jesus' choice to make him what we think is the hero of the story was nothing less than shocking to first century ears. I don't know how to even put this into context in our day. Imagine Jesus is making a movie about the Civil War, and then he sends in a guy in an astronaut suit to bounce in, right? That's what happened here. Our Pharisee friend would have said, what I... What are you doing? This, and, and the consensus, both Pharisee and Sadducee would agree, <clears throat> he does not belong in this story. This is an enemy. He is not the hero. I know who the heroes are. That's not the hero. I've lived in this, all right? I know, I don't know everything, but I know that. That's not the story. And this, as, this, as our Pharisee friend is wondering about this, as he's trying to put it all together in his brain, Jesus continues to tell the story. And in the story, this miscast Samaritan person uses the pieces of his own clothing to make bandages. He uses his own wine as a disinfectant and his own oil as a soothing lotion. He puts the man on his own donkey and he pays the innkeeper out of his own pocket. And Jesus asked the question, who became a neighbor in this story? Now, as disoriented as our Pharisee friend is, he knows what the right answer is, right? I mean, you can't mess this one up. And he says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus' response is, um, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, we have a dilemma here. We're, we're missing the original question. Do you remember the original question of the Pharisee was, how do I get the good stuff? Where do... See, I don't understand. The, the hero is supposed to get the blessing, and I didn't see the, the priest get the blessing. I didn't see the Levite get the blessing. I didn't see even the Samaritan get the blessing. And that's when we begin to unpack the real story. Maybe this story isn't just about the Samaritan and kindness. Maybe it's not just about asking, who should I love? Maybe it's also asking, who would I want to love me if I was in trouble? If I'm, if I'm the Pharisee and I'm trying to find myself 
in the story, Jesus made it really clear I'm not the first two characters, right? He actually made it really clear that I'm really not the first three. He, he painted the picture of the, the only three people I can really be sure that I'm not. I'm, I'm definitely not a priest. I'm not a Sadducee. I'm definitely not a Levite, and I'm definitely not a Samaritan. So if I'm looking for me in the story, there's only one person left to find. And that's the man laying on the ground in need. And this is where the story turns. And this is where they leave us in the story. We don't know the response of the man. We don't know if he saw it or he didn't see it. Jesus, the great teacher, is not teaching um, to answer the question. He's answering the person. He sees a person who is the religious elite who wants to know, how do I get the good stuff. And Jesus is inviting him back to, to remember you're not the hero of the story. All of us want to, when we hear a story like this, you didn't think of yourself as the person laying on the ground. You thought of yourself walking as the person walking down the road. And you wanted to, in the same way, know what do I do? Right? What should, okay, so that person loves in that way. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's how I get the blessing. And Jesus is saying, back up, back up. We got to back up way before you can get to the hero of the story. You need, to, you need to back up and you need to understand that before you ever can be the hero of the story, you're the one that's in need and the hero comes. The hero of the story is Jesus. The heroes of the story is the God who sends both friend and enemy to show kindness to us. The hero of the story is this God who, though he didn't need to, out of his character and nature, showed, shows, showed kindness and shows kindness to us still, enemies of him. This is where we start the story, by realizing how much and diving into the depth of how much kindness I have received. It isn't just about how much I can give. The only way I can truly give the way that God gives is to remember and recognize how much I have received myself. It's the only way that we can do it. I was humbled thinking about this. It's, God always does this to me, right? Always. Where whenever, um, whenever I'm getting ready for a message, he just says, hey, we're going to live this out. All right, we're going to live this out. Same thing he did to the Pharisee. I hope I'm not a Pharisee. <laughs> but he does the same thing to me. And this week, I am um, working in my garage. I do that quite a bit. I, uh, I like restoring some furniture, and, so, and it's hot during the summer, right? And so I have my garage uh, door open. And oftentimes, I'm listening to, like, a sermon or a podcast, and uh, I'm in there, and I'm standing something, and all of a sudden, I hear a voice, and it, you're, like, not knowing someone's there, and they talk this close to your face, <laughs> and that's what happened to me, and I got really startled, and I look up, and um, there's a man standing in my garage right now, uh, and I recognize him. He's kitty corner across the street from me, and I don't remember his name, and here's the problem. I've been living here for almost four years, right? Full confession, honestly. See him, wave at him. How you doing, neighbor? And he comes over, and he says, hey, I see you in here working all the time, and I'm, uh, I'm having to get rid of some stuff in my garage because uh, I'm having some health problems and I can't do the stuff that I used to do. He's retired. Um, and I'm wondering if you would like uh, a sander. And I'm like, what? And, he's, and it's this beautiful, like, industrial belt sander that absolutely I want. Guys, we want. 
Doesn't even matter if we need, we want, right? <laughs> so many guys just look at their wife, the wife's like, oh, whatever, right? But here's the thing about my neighbor. I don't know a lot about him. I'm pretty sure he's not a Christ follower. He is quite an artist, though. I've never heard anyone that can interject curse words into every sentence. It's an art. I, after like two minutes of talking to him, I was just like, this is amazing. Like, I'm quite impressed by this. Right? You're talking to me about Sander, and there's, wow. Like, how many four-letter words can you fit into that sentence? I'm quite impressed. Though this is the way that he talks and his language. And then he says, oh, you know what? And I'm also getting rid of these workbenches. There's these beautiful workbenches. I'm getting rid of these. Do you want these? And I'm, again, I'm like, uh-huh, right? Yes, I would like these. And at this moment, I am, you know, you just get those moments in life where God just kind of pokes you in the chest. And this is one of those where I realized that my uh, neighbor who doesn't follow Christ is out neighboring me. I can't even remember his name. He didn't wake up this morning and be like, okay, Lord, what, how can I bless the people around me? He just saw a need and was like, hey, I want to be kind to this punk kid across the street who doesn't <laughs> have as good of tools as me uh, and is doing the best he can in his garage. And you know what? Instead of selling this on Craigslist, which he could easily do or giving it to somebody else, he just came across to a guy he didn't know and said, here, here you go. Here you go. Gene outneighbored me. But, I, but I'm on the winning team. But I'm wearing the right jersey. I don't understand. He's wearing the wrong jersey. I'm the one that's supposed to out-neighbor him, right? I'm on the winning team. But he, but he out-neighbored me. And so maybe it's not just about being wearing the right jersey when it comes to kindness. Maybe there's something deeper to understand about that. This very same day, okay, this is how God works, just same day he runs me through the game. This is Monday, so this is happening during the day. And then I go with my son, and we got to go to Home Depot, and I have to get some boards for another project that I'm doing. And so maybe you're like me, and I, I think this is what hell is like. Hell is like being in a store, and you don't know where something is, and you can't find a person, right? That, to me, is what hell is like. I, when I don't like not knowing, and then, like, Literally just walking around and not finding something is the worst ever, right? When you're at Home Depot, though, who are you looking for? They're wearing a, a what color vest? Orange. Right. We all know this, right? Mike, my son and I were walking around, and he's loving it because he gets pushed around the cart, and I'm frustrated because now I'm like 13 aisles down from where I'm supposed to be, right? And, but I, all of a sudden, a, a guy and a girl walk around the corner, and they're both wearing orange vests. And I'm like, hallelujah, we're here, the promised land. So... The guy gets about five feet from me, and I say, hey, can I ask you a question? And he doesn't say anything. Actually, doesn't even stop doing this. He just stops. You ever have that interaction where you're like, I don't really know what to do next year. I asked you a question, you're not answering. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just go forward with this conversation here. And I'm like, so... I'm looking for um, these boards, and I went over there, and there's only two boards left. I need three of them, and do you guys have them anywhere else? And he, I have never in my life been talked to so rudely by an employee somewhere. And he says, I'm helping someone else right now. I don't know. And I'm like, okay, right? I'm here. My son's here. He starts to walk away, and he gets about not even five steps from me, and he says out loud with an earshot, have any manners to the girl right next to him. 
to where my son goes, why did he just say have any manners, right? <laughs> like he's just trying, he's just asking the like, innocent, just going like, why did he just say that? And I don't know what it was, even though I was just blessed, right? We, we lose it, something in me. It, I'm pretty good at just being like, whatever, bro, right? Something in me was like, oh, no, you didn't. Like, and I start walking that direction, right? Well, he goes around the corner, and I walk around the corner, and he's gone. And I'm, I'm kind of like, all right, Chris, you're, you're dumb. Just stop it, right? Not a big deal, okay? Not a big deal. But it's just one of those things. He, he, I got frustrated. I got really frustrated by whatever. My son's there. Now I've got to explain to him like how we, that, I've never been talked to like that in my entire life. We go to checkout, we get all the stuff in um, the truck, we, I start to pull out, and as I pull out of my spot, who's walking out right then is this gentleman. So I roll down my window, all right? And I say, excuse me, sir, okay, just, if there's a light for shut up, Chris, like that could go on, it's right now, right? You're just been blessed, you've just been shown kindness, and I go, uh, can I ask you a question? <laughs> and this time he goes, sure. And I go, did you say uh, have any manners when we were in there? And his face gets white and his eyes get big. And he goes, no, not me. And I go, are you sure? And he goes, no. And then he absolutely tries to change the subject. And he goes, did you find everything you needed? And I go, yeah. And then, again, I get out of flesh Chris mode back into, stop it, right? You've been shown so much kindness. First of all, I have my son. I'm an example to him. And I say, you know what, sir? And I look at him, and he's got sweat beads on his face, right? And, and this isn't, and I know that's laughing. This wasn't sweat beads he's sweating right now. This is, he's always had them. And he's been working hard. And I probably just caught him at an off time, and he's, I don't know how long he was working on that project. I don't know what he was doing. He obviously had someone else helping him, and I caught him at a wrong time, and I got to say, you know what, sir? You're working really hard, and I hope you have a really good day, all right? And then I got to pull over, and again, this is the conviction part, right? The Bible tells us that God's kindness leads us to repentance, right? What is repentance? Repentance is turning from not only what I believe and I think, but also turning my actions. And I got to tell my son, I said, hey, because he, <laughs> Mike, if I said, when, he is so honest. He's like, he lied. Right? <laughs> and at first I'm like, no. And I was like, he, he did. He absolutely lied. Yeah, he lied. And I said, sometimes people do that. And sometimes people do that when they mean to. And sometimes that people do that when they don't mean to. But here's what we can do. Let's pray for him tonight. Right? So when we went to bed that night, we prayed for this gentleman, this sweaty gentleman who lied to us. Right? And Micah, even that night, was like, don't forget to pray for the liar guy. Right? <laughs> Just love it. But in that moment, it was so easy for me. Just, this had been like an hour since I was crazy blessed. Crazy blessed by a neighbor. And it was so easy for me to forget to be a neighbor back. Right? When we look at the idea of being a neighbor, we have to start with this, this belief and this recognition that we are so blessed as people, that God has and is and will continue to show us kindness, and we are to see it and we are to recognize it continuously.
Two points to the story that I see. You're not the hero. When you look up in my commentary this week, when you look up the idea of mercy or, or, or kindness, which is a, uh, a word that can be interchanged in the Greek, my, com- my commentary said this this week. It's an attribute of God and quality desirable, but not consistently found in humans. You're not the hero, but you can be. You're not the hero, but you can be. The more that we don't just try to white-knuckle kindness, but actually from the core of ourselves recognize the kindness every single day that we're shown, not just from heaven above, but also from a stranger and a neighbor, as I live in that and as I'm thankful for that, that it makes it so much easier for me to then outpour that uh, as well. So we have this problem, how do we do that? I want to share a little video of someone who wrestled with this uh, concept because this is what we're all going to leave you with here today. It's how do I do that? And you're going to have to zoom in individually, not corporately, but individually and say, how do I do that? As if Jesus himself is talking to you, asking the question, what are you going to do? So let's watch this video of one person deciding how to be a neighbor. Go ahead. I always thought I'd go far away on mission. I really did. I really thought my calling would be international, and I never, never in a million years thought that the Lord would ask me to walk outside of my door in the mission field where I live and get to know my neighbors. I'm Kristen Shell, and I live in Austin, Texas. I am a wife and a mother of four children. Any given day, I am in the kitchen or in the minivan. I am active in the kids' school. I'm a writer and I volunteer at church. We've been in this neighborhood um, almost 10 years. I always knew we were supposed to love our neighbors because that's the great commandment. But how you live that out day to day is hard, Um, especially when you don't know your neighbors, which is the situation I was in. I did not know my neighbors. Sure, I knew, you know, a handful of them. And so there was this huge question, what do you want me to do, Lord? Here I am, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to walk across the street and bang on doors? Do you want me to take cookies? What do you want me to do, Lord? God answers prayers in really winsome ways. I was hosting a party with a friend in our backyard and I didn't have any tables. And so I ordered a picnic table from Lowe's. And when it arrived two days later, I knew. I knew that for the purposes of the party, I was gonna have it in my backyard. But as soon as that party was over, I was moving that table in the front yard and it was gonna be a gathering place. And so I painted it turquoise, which is my favorite color. And I did, I put it outside underneath the tree in the front yard. It was awkward at first. I have this table, it's bright turquoise, it's sitting in the front yard, and now I'm like, well now what do I do? So I took a whole bunch of stuff out with me. I took my phone and my journal and my computer, and I even, um, I had some art stuff that I was working on, because you know, I needed to look like I was just doing something. By going out front, I was saying to God, here I am, Lord, your will be done. Go before, behind, and beside me into the neighborhood. 
And that very day, life changed. And I met a neighbor within three hours of putting a table out in my front yard. A lot has happened since putting the table out there. There are a handful of women who are now very close friends who I did not know. It has become kind of a gathering place. I'm Bob. This is my daughter, Peggy. <laughs> so one of the best things is just the sense of normal community, everyday life. The neighborhood kids come over. They'll do homework when the weather's pretty. We've had lemonade stands, hot cocoa stands. More intimately, um, it's a place where I can meet and have met neighbors um, who now pop by with coffee and just for 15 minutes, a, co a conversation over coffee that wouldn't have happened. And the Lord has taught me and I am learning to be present. Um, that, it sounds like it should be a no-brainer, but listening is not um, a skill that came naturally at first to me, nor was being present. It's great to see you Loving my neighbors has taught me how to love God better. It's drawn me into deeper relationship with Him. You don't need permission or a program to go outside and be who Christ has called you to be. When we open up our front door, and we take three steps right out our front yard, good things happen. Open up your door and let God do the rest. If you look back at our story, <clears throat> we're reminded that Jesus won't award the title of neighbor to just anyone. He asks the question, who was a neighbor? It isn't, it isn't proximity to someone isn't because you live down the street to someone is an action. He won't award the title of neighbor to just anyone and he sets a purposefully high bar that is meant to challenge and humble us. It is meant to humble us. If you were to look at the story of the Good Samaritan today, today, right? Seems simple. He, he comes up and he sees this man and he treats his wounds, right? Most of us would do that. Most of us, we see a person hurting or bleeding on the ground, and we're going to do the best we can to treat them. But then not only that, he gets out of his only mode of transportation, and he puts the other man on it. So I want you to imagine you're on Main Street in Vancouver and see someone hurting, and then they need to get to the hospital, and, well, you have a, a motorcycle or a bike, and you put them on it, and you say, I'll walk. I'll get down there. And then you get to the hospital, and you say, the bill's on me. How expensive would that be today, right? We need to look at this story in our own context. And then not only am I going to stay there helping you, but then when I have to leave, I'm going to say, here's some extra money, and anything else, anything else he needs is on me. Now, this is the bar set by Jesus. This is what a neighbor is. This is what we are to live into. And that should humble all of us. That should humble all of us back to this place of recognition of how blessed am I? How much kindness have I been shown? So I tried to, the best I can, best I could this last week, look at and recognize the kindness I saw around me. We did this event for our youth ministry that we've done the last few years called Lake Day. And we go up to Crescent Bay and bring a whole bunch of kids with us, right? And um, uh, we, we have 
we're so blessed. People bring up their boats. We pull kids around in tubes. Uh, I said it last week. It's, it's, it's just really hard to have a bad day on a jet ski or being pulled behind on a tube, right, when you're on a lake. Just really hard. It's just really, but people give their time. And I, and I snapped a couple of photos that were just really telling of, of neighboring, that, and maybe not neighboring in the way that you would think of neighboring. And so I want to show uh, a couple of these. So my son got to go, right? My son's seven years old. And his buddies, right, he, he calls them my friends, right? His friends, Parker right, on the right and Tori on the left. My son normally in these situations sticks by me and sits with me on the bus, right? I got on the bus and all of a sudden Mike is just sitting between his buddies, right? And they're playing plants versus zombies with him on the phone. And I'm watching this and I had to snap a picture of it because they're all smiling for a reason. That's not a fake smile. That's kindness right there. My son did not stop talking about his friends, right? Because he's the cool guy getting to sit with the big kids on the big bus, right? He's, he's shown kindness by these guys. So not only do they just say, hey, cool, you can sit with us on the bus, and they weren't put out by that. They actually were overjoyed by that kindness. Then we went tubing on the boat, and we can show the next one. Hey, this one's a little hard to see, okay? But this is those boys, right? If you really zoom in, and, and it's a little pixelated, but you can see their faces, all right? You can see the joy on these three guys' faces. This is uh, Parker, and this is Tori, and this is our other friend, Will, and my son right in the middle. And if you really look, you can see these guys are down here. My son's actually a good eight inches off of the ground bouncing at this moment, all right? This is neighboring. This is neighboring. This is those boys saying, hey, he can have the center seat. Hey, we, as much as, how often do you see teenagers serve? Like, honestly, who is a parent of a teenager in here, right? But they, I didn't have to ask them to do this. They were like, Micah, come on in, right? I want to I stop and I want to recognize it every time we see it, right? These little things we miss in life, and these are the good, this is the good stuff, right? These are the good things that we see in life. Now, Zoom, we have one more picture. This is the story of just, just the students of Lake Day. This isn't another 20 or 25 adults and other people that made Lake Day happen. We brought 70-plus people up to the lake, and they got to go for free. And they got to go have hot dogs, and they got to go play uh, Nine Square, this game that takes forever to set up. And they got to get pulled by boats of people who came and gave their time and their energy and their gas money and their sunburn and everything else, right? Because they want to show kindness to kids. We have an amazing youth team that comes and shows kindness to these kids and creates a place for them. And hopefully, hopefully is creating a wake and a legacy for them to come behind to say, this is just, this is just normal. This is what we do. We show kindness. This is, just, this is the culture that we're creating and the culture that we're setting up. We show kindness because we have been shown kindness. We don't do it just because it's a, uh, it's, a, it's a rule that we have to follow that we write in our textbook. The great teacher, Jesus, comes to us and he knows where we're at in the story. And so here's my, as we kind of close today, I wonder if he were to sit with you and I wonder if you were to ask a question, how would he answer? And we're talking about the idea of kindness right now. I wonder what he would challenge you to do. Big things, small things, right? As he looks into your eyes, as he challenges you, as he invites you into his character and his nature, the same way to be a smaller version of himself on this earth. Those that are showing kindness, and we all show kindness on some degree, and praise God for that. Praise God for this kindness shown. And he's, but 
what we know about following Christ is it's a journey that never ends. We're always looking for the next level, the next, um, the next way that we can die to self. And so there, I guarantee this isn't just a corporate message that I'm going to share out, that Jesus, if you'll listen, that's the story of the Pharisee, right? We don't know if he listened. We don't know if he heard it. It may have just passed right over his head, but if I do know that this God speaks to us individually and in terms of kindness, but not just normal kindness, not just kindness here of, of kids that we can hang out with and neighbors across the street continually. The Bible then goes so far as to say we need to show kindness to our enemies. And the people, if we're hurting, we would never want to see them come around the corner to help us. That's the last person I want to help me. Yet that is the bar that our Jesus sets for us in kindness. Easy to then say, oh, I've been shown kindness, and then I'm going to go do some nice, kind things. But that is the bar that he sets for us. And so we have to be so rooted in this blessing that we have to ever try to get there. But I want to go on the journey. I want to teach my son to go on the journey. I want to teach our students to go on the journey. I want to go on the journey with you as well as we learn how to get to that level of neighboring. It's so hard to get to, and so few actually get there. But this is the example that Jesus had set for us. I'm going to have our worship team come out, and we're going to kind of close just in remembrance of that. So God may be convicting you right now of kindness you need to show, or maybe kindness is being uh, that you're withholding right now. And I want to encourage you to sit in that and to process through that. But, but maybe to start as we sing and we close today, to just be thankful, to start there, to look around at your life. One of the... Um, a while back, uh, I stole this fr idea from an author that I was reading, but she uh, did a, a thing where she, every single night, she wrote down five things that she was thankful for, and then the same time, she wrote five things she's already thankful for tomorrow. So she's already, she's projecting forward, I, I'm going to have more things to be thankful for. So I wrote... I, I can't even say that I do this every day. I try to do this in my journal every single day, but yesterday I did. And I wrote these down. And my encouragement is for you to find your own. I got to be in a wedding of a dear friend yesterday, and I wrote this. I said, Lord, I'm, I'm thankful for your kindness that I see in this world, that there are still those who celebrate and live out the sacred act of two becoming one that it's not just a thing done, that it's an actual sacred, holy moment, and then we stop long enough to give reverence and awe to two becoming one. I said, Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for the kindness that you show or the generosity of my friends and family. This week I had some things happen in my world that are just, they're otherworldly. They're just examples of the fact that God loves me, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the kindness that God shows that he is still growing me and he's still active in my life, that he will walk my <laughs> colorfully uh, sharing neighbor across the street to work on me. I'm thankful that I have a community that is safe for me to confess to, that I don't, I, I'm not there yet. I want to be, but I'm not there yet. And Lord, I'm thankful for the kindness that you show that to, I know that tomorrow will bring all new kindness to celebrate. I, I know that already. 
We have this great teacher in Jesus who's showing us kindness today, and I pray that you'll recognize it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we go into a time of worship and song and praise, my prayer is that we would see kindness as a supernatural act, that we would celebrate it as a sacred experience, that we would show gratefulness for it as a precious offering, and Lord, that we would offer it as a never-ending resource. We're grateful for your kindness, Lord. May you show us how to offer it and share it with the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.